Section 70 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 7 A Danger at Once. There was not much breeze, but what there was was blowing from the west. It is a bad habit which the wind is fond of during the equinoxes. The rising tide behaves differently in the Douvre Reef according to the wind which is blowing. According to the gust which impels it, the tide enters this corridor from the east or from the west. If the sea enters from the east, it is favorable and gentle. If it enters from the west, it is furious. This arises from the fact that the east wind, blowing from the land, has but little breath, while the west wind, which traverses the Atlantic, brings with it all the force of that immensity. Even very little apparent breeze, if it comes from the west, is disquieting. It rolls large billows from the limitless expanse, and forces too much water at once into the strangled passage. Water rushing into any narrow place is always frightful. It is with water as with a crowd. A multitude is a liquid. When the quantity which can enter is less than the quantity which desires to enter, a crush ensues in the case of the crowd, and convulsion in the case of the water. As long as the west wind reigns, were it but the feeblest breeze, the Douvre undergo this assault twice a day. The sea rises, the tide presses, the rock resists, the mouth opens but slightly, the waters forcibly thrust in, leap and roar, and a frantic swell beats the two inner faces of the gorge so that the douvre in the slightest west wind present this singular spectacle outside on the sea calm within the reef a storm this local and restricted tumult has none of the characteristics of a tempest it is only a riot of the waves but it is terrible as for the north and south wind they pass across the reef and make but little surf in the narrow passage the entrance on the east, a fact which must be remembered, adjoins the man-rock. The formidable western opening is at the opposite extremity, precisely between the two douvres. It was at this western opening that Gilliatt found himself with the stranded Durand and the paunch moored beneath it. A catastrophe seemed inevitable. There was but little wind, yet sufficient to produce this threatened catastrophe. In a few hours the swell of the rising tide would rush in full force through the Douvres Strait. The first waves were already roaring. This swell and eddy of the whole Atlantic would have the entire sea behind it. No squall, no wrath, but a simple, sovereign wave, containing within itself a force of impulsion which, setting out from America to end in Europe, had a spring of two thousand leagues. This wave, a gigantic wedge from the ocean, would encounter the opening in the reef, and curled up against the two Douvres, the entrance towers, the pillars of the straits, swollen by the flood-tide, swollen by the obstacle, repulsed by the rock, overdriven by the breeze, would violently strike the reef, would penetrate into it, with all the contortions of the obstacles encountered, and all the frenzies of the impeded billows, between the two walls, would find the boat 
and the Durand there, and would crush them. Against this eventuality a shield was necessary, and Gilead had it. The sea must be prevented from entering at one dash. It must be prohibited from dashing, yet allowed to rise. Its passage must be barred, yet entrance not refused. He must resist it, yet yield to it. He must prevent the compression of the water in the gorge, wherein lay the whole danger, replace eruption by introduction, deprive the billows of their eagerness and their brutality, constrain this fury to mildness. For the obstacle which irritates, substitute the obstacle which appeases. Gilead, with the dexterity which was peculiar to him, and which is stronger than force, executing the maneuver of a chamois in the mountains or a monkey in the forest, utilizing for his tottering and dizzy strides the slightest projecting stone, leaping into the water and emerging again, swimming in the eddy, climbing the rock, a rope between his teeth, a hammer in his hand, detached the small cable which held the section of the forward part of the Durand suspended, and also fast to the base of the little Douvre, fashioned out of some bits of hawser a sort of hinges attaching this section to the large spikes fixed in the granite, made this bulwark of planks swing on these hinges like the gate to a dry dock, presented it, as one turns a rudder sideways, to the waves which pushed one end of it against the great Douvre, while the rope hinges retained the other end against the little Douvre. He fixed upon the great Douvre, by means of the spikes awaiting him, which he had placed there in advance, the same kind of fastenings as on the little one, and moored this vast mass of wood solidly to the two pillars of the gorge, crossed this barricade with a chain, like a baldric on a cuirasse, and, in less than an hour, this barrier rose against the tide, and the sea-lane of the reef was closed as by a door. This powerful construction, a heavy mass of beams and planks, which, lying flat, would have been a raft, and erect was a wall, had, with the aid of the water, been handled by Gilead with the dexterity of a juggler. One might almost say that the trick was performed before the rising tide had had time to perceive it. It was one of those cases when Jean Bart would have uttered that famous saying which he addressed to the waves every time he escaped shipwreck, cheated the Englishman. It is known that when Jean Bart wished to insult the ocean he called it the Englishman. Having barred the entrance to the strait, Gilead thought of his boat. He paid out sufficient cable on both anchors to allow it to rise with the tide, an operation analogous to that which old sailors were wont to call anchoring with springs. In all this Gilead had not been taken unawares. The emergency had been foreseen. A member of the craft would have recognized the fact by two top-rope pulleys lashed as snatch-blocks to the stern of the boat, through which passed two cables, the ends of which served as bolt-ropes to the rings of the two anchors. Meanwhile the flow of the tide had increased. Half-tide had arrived. It is at this point that shocks from the waves of the tide, even when peaceful, can be rough. Gilead's combination was realized. The flood rolled violently towards the barrier, struck it, swelled against it, 
and passed under it. Outside was the heavy swell. Inside the water rose quietly. Gilead had invented something in the nature of codine forks for the sea. The tide was vanquished. End of chapter 7 A Danger at Once